Hello, everyone. Welcome. This is the Field Goals Podcast. I am Dana O'Gorman. This one's a little bittersweet, guys. Um, So today is going to be the final podcast under the Field Goals banner. As most of you know by now and have heard a million people complain about on Twitter and other social media platforms, Vox Media, who owns SB Nation, has decided to cut all their MLS and hockey coverage. And also with that, they've decided to cut their podcasts, um, except for maybe one or two NFL podcasts are staying. Um, And so this will be the final podcast under the field goals heading. Now we're going to talk about at the end of the show about how actually this is going to continue a little bit. And I know Dan chatted with you guys about that on his podcast earlier this week about some continuations. But under this banner, this is going to be it for us. So we had to bring... We had to get the whole band back together. So I'm excited today that not only do I have Dan Beans, my co-host for the entire last year of the Field Goals um, podcast, but we also have Brandon Schultz, who is the Seahawkers podcast um, host, but also did this Field Goals podcast for years. Gentlemen, welcome. Uh, It's good to be here. And and don't also forget that Brandon's the reason we're here because Absolutely. he reached out 100%. to two of us when he wanted to focus on Seahawkers and and offered us this opportunity. So we wouldn't be here without Mr. Huge, really grateful for that. And I was the one who ultimately brought it down then by making that choice because, you know, you guys cost too much <laughs> money at uh, Vox, you know, right. just so they couldn't pay everybody. So... My you know, they, just really they, yeah. got too expensive. Exactly. Right. Yeah, that huge paycheck I got. No, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's funny. And, you know, the wonderful thing about, I think, for all three of us is all three of us are involved in other podcasts and do other things. And so it's not like we're disappearing. It's just this particular one, which, to be honest with you, I have had a great time this last year. Um, I've met a ton of new Seahawks fans, which I love so much. Um, I've got to know the two of you so much better than I did before, too. But this has just been kind of a fun venue um, to host a podcast and to and to chat about Seahawks football. So we're going to talk about all that at the end, about where you can still find us and all of that other good stuff for sure. But you guys are here for us to talk about the Seahawks, which, man, we've had a busy few days, right? Like the off season really usually seems kind of dull and there might be like one or two little trades or something that happens. Somebody gets a new contract, but Man, the last probably 72 hours have been hopping for the Seattle Seahawks, for sure. Let's go ahead and start with the lesser big story (laughs) than the one that came out today. Let's start with Bobby Wagner. It was announced yesterday that the Los Angeles Rams and Bobby Wagner have decided to mutually part ways. The interesting spin on this was the fact that Bobby Wagner said he wanted to go to a team that's going to win, which <laughs> seems like a little bit of a dig. We're going to have a conversation about that. Um, but then, of course, what happens? Seahawks fans lose their ever-loving minds, as they do every once in a while. What am I saying? Pretty regularly. And they're, bring Bobby home, bring Bobby home. Brandon, I want to start with you. First of all, what do you think happened with Bobby and the Rams? Because he had a fantastic season for them last year. And then... Are we, are we bringing Bobby home? (laughs) Well, he did have a great season, but I think Bobby is pretty smart to know that the direction of the Rams franchise, this was kind of a potential one-off year for them, right? If with Matt Stafford getting a little older with Aaron Donald coming back for another year, Jalen Ramsey, who knows what his future is. It seemed like the Rams were loading up for one more run at it because they threw so much at it the year before. And 
I think he wanted to be part of that too, with that being his hometown. So once he saw the writing on the wall of, Hey, the, this is not going to go anywhere beyond this year because Stafford's not getting any younger. And you know, who even knows about the the future of, of Sean McVay at this point. So is he going to come back to Seattle? I think that's the big question. Or is it going to be another stay in LA and just go with the chargers and roll with them? Because if he wants another shot with a title, uh, maybe the chargers are the answer. Dan, what do you think? It's, it's maybe one of the most conflicting ex-player situations I can ever remember because, you know, when the news first broke, um, you know, my initial thought was, no, the reasons that the Seahawks moved on from him last year weren't all monetary reasons, and those reasons still remain, And it, but yet it's Bobby. And, uh, and we love him so much, and we're coming off a season when, linebacker was an issue and playing, you know, defending the run was an issue. And, and the hardest part, what made, what makes it so difficult, I think for fans to wrap their heads around. And I've gotten some of this kickback on, on Twitter already is, well, he was first team all pro, but yet when you listen to analysts and, and people who cover the league, um, you know, some of the issues with his declining skills and, and, and some of the physical issues that he has to battle through every day. And he, and he does battle through him. Didn't miss a game. You know, he's, he shows up every Sunday, um, are, are still there. And, and the Rams used him in a different way to kind of mask some of those things, had him be more of a North-South player than East-West. And, and um, I, I come down to this. First of all, I don't think it's going to be an issue. I do think he still has enough of a market. Someone's going to pay him a number that wouldn't make sense for the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't think it's going to come down to, well, why didn't we? Um, but I also look at it this way. Because here's what I'm hearing from fans. Well, he'd be better than Cody Barton, wouldn't he? Especially, <laughs> right? Especially with Jordan Brooks They're not being wrong. out. But, but that's not how I look at it. You have to look at it as, would he be better than any of the other options out there? Either another younger free agent we could sign at a certain number or someone we could draft. And so I don't think it makes sense to bring him back. I do think it makes sense for him to seek out a team similar to a situation, similar to what he thought he had last year a team that's on the cusp, you know, chase a ring. Um, he's probably going to take less money this time than he ever has, but I still think it's going to be more significant than the Seahawks will be willing to pay. You know, he said that he wants to win and that we all know then that means is code for he wants a title. And mm-hmm. at the same time, I know that I don't get the feeling from Bobby Wagner and I know people who know him personally that he's a title chaser. Do you know what I mean? So it's not like he's going to hop from team to team to team. I think he really thought L.A. he'd go in had a very good chance of winning another Super Bowl, which at the beginning of the season we all thought. Right. Yeah. And so I kind of feel like he was going to go there, win a ring and possibly retire. Now that didn't happen. So he knows he's going to have to do this for one more year. So then the question then becomes, does he want to work as hard as he had to last year, which I don't know was really the intent. They, I don't know that they were going to use him every single down. I mean, maybe they, they, of course they needed to with their injuries and that sort of thing. Or is he willing to be more of a rotational player with his age and that sort of thing? If he's willing to be more of a rotational player and take the money for that, then I think I think he's going to end up in the AFC. I think we're going to see him in Buffalo or Kansas City or Cincinnati or hell, even the Dolphins. You know what I mean? I don't get that feeling. I think he wants to come in and contribute. I think that he wants to come in and and make a team better. Conversations I saw on Twitter yesterday were a lot of 
Bobby, we would have won X game had Bobby been on the field. We would have won this game had Bobby been on the field. A, we don't know that, but B, you're probably not wrong. Let's be honest with the way he played last year. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think that I, I've heard from some people who knows like, man, I think there's, you know, about a 40% chance he ends up back in Seattle. He's always said he's going to go there after he retires anyway. And then what his future plans are. Does he want to teach? But let me tell you, they, even if they bring Bobby in, they're going to have to either draft or get another linebacker. And what a great, great vet to have on the field to help them learn. Um, but I think that we aren't going to know what Bobby's going to do probably for a while. I think he's going to sit on it for a bit. Yeah, I think that makes the most sense because, one, you have to wait and see what's going to happen in the draft. I, I yep. think you're right. The Seahawks will absolutely look at that position, whether it's the draft or free agency, probably yep. both. They, they should do both. And if they get to shoot training camp and maybe there's an injury to one of those guys, was there, whether it's the free agent or whether it's the, the draft pick that they picked up, it's kind of one of those unforeseen things. Bobby seems like one of those guys who would be kind of the emergency standby roster spot. He's going to be there unless he go. I, I don't think any other team apart from an L.A. team. We know it's not going to be the Rams now. That's why I said the Chargers. I think it's going to be L.A. or Seattle for Bobby or nothing. Maybe. And it all depends on the market. If if the number's right and he wants to come back to Seattle and give it one last shot and then and then call it a career, maybe that scenario works. Um, <laughs> what fascinates me, and you touched on it, is what it says about the Rams. That, that Bobby oh, yeah. feels like even with all their star power and all their guys coming back off injury next year, that he didn't feel. And, and granted, maybe this was the team – moving on no matter what and they gave they gave bobby an opportunity you know you know they framed it as a mutual parting but the the rams are in you know they got five guys with cap hits over 20 million and uh and three of those are over 25 million bobby was going to be a 12.5 million dollar cap hit um jalen ramsey with a couple of cryptic tweets after this happened you know wouldn't be surprised to see maybe that there's been whispers about him being traded the last couple mm -hmm. of years. this could be a real statement about where the rams think they are I, I agree. And actually, uh, a podcast I did last night, Jeff Simmons said the exact same thing, that that there was rumblings that he had heard throughout the whole season that the McVeigh shine had had worn off and Stafford's not even 100 percent sure he's coming back. Mm -hmm. Aaron Donald keeps dropping that he might still retire the Jalen Ramsey trade. They, they were a, a team that, in my opinion, quote unquote, sold their soul to get the Super Bowl and they got the Super Bowl and they thought they could do it two years in a row. And then the age and the contracts caught up to them. Um, and, and so now they have to start over and to do that, you have to get rid of kind of some of those bigger contracts for sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. All right. <laughs> All right. We're, I don't want to give too much oxygen to this because there is, it irritates me and fascinates me at the same time. So obviously first thing this morning, it was what seven o'clock in the morning. This story comes out from the athletic for Mike Sando and, um, Jason Jenks and, and Kim, I can never remember Kim's last name. Um, they came out with a story about Russell Wilson. I went through and I read the article. And at first I was like, this is all old news. We, we knew all of this stuff already. I was like, I'm not really sure the point of this. Then I reread it and it intrigued me a little bit. So the big story that came out on the Seattle side of it was that Russell Wilson had gone and asked to have P. Carroll and John Snyder fired. He went above their head and wanted them fired. Um, he did not think that he was doing, that they were doing well by him. Obviously that backfired. It, 
And I always say he has categorically denied it. His lawyers have denied it. They say it's absolutely not true. Um, so we'll keep that in mind. So with the caveat that it could possibly not be true, it backfired on him. And he ended up in Denver. And the 99% of this story, though, was about his year in Denver last year. And I think that for the discerning eye, that's where the focus should be. Because it raises a lot of questions about what's going on in Denver, in my opinion. Now, I cover, I watch and cover Denver for our turf football. So I already kind of keep an eyeball on this. For Seattle fans, it probably doesn't matter. Nothing's going to change for them. It's not a big enough deal. But what was your, Brandon, what was your initial reaction when you saw this? I giggled a little. I'm not it's, well, the, the main part of the athletic story is about Russ's time in Denver this year. Yes. So that was, and I think we all kind of knew some of it because it, it was things that came out throughout the year, just in terms of him having an office and some of the things that the players said behind the scenes. And, and this just kind of, I, I think, put a good bow on maybe more more of the things that were rumored throughout the season. But the important part for Seahawks fans was that meeting with ownership and uh, him requesting to I the wording of it, for one, is interesting because, you know, he in the article, it said that he asked for Pete and uh, John Schneider to be fired. And, you know, he came out, Russ did, like you said, and said, I never wanted them fired. Now, Russ didn't deny it. He just said, I never wanted them fired. Right. And apparently think, his attorney said it wasn't true. Well, but, his attorney yeah. said it was fabricated. And if I'm going to yeah. be an attorney, I'm going to use a word that can mean two different things. Fabricated Fair. can mean constructed. This was a constructed article, uh, but fabricated also has that subtext of being made up. And Fair. I don't think any of this is made up. And so I think the lawyer was using the other term of it being a constructed article. And so that's not a denial either by the lawyer. And that's my lawyer speak uh, kicking in, even though I was never <laughs> one. But uh, it's it's how I'm reading into this and also why I'm chuckling along with you while reading <laughs> this and the and the drama afterward, because I think it's absolutely true. P Russ could have gone in and had a meeting and said, for the best thing going forward, I think it would be to bring in Sean Payton to be the GM and head coach. Now, that's not him saying I want them to be fired, but that's obviously the outcome that would have come true. And the Saints were one of the four teams that if he didn't want to be traded, that that's one of the teams you would want to go to. And that was a report from Adam Schefter getting it directly from his agent. So there's enough here that I tend to lean more the direction of this not being uh, fabricated uh, in the way that uh, Russ's lawyer would want us to, to believe it. Dan. I know you got thoughts on this. I know you do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, first of all, um, Mike Sando and Jason Jenks are two of the best that do. Absolutely. It. And they sourced over 15 people, many of whom, uh, you know, uh, insisted on anonymity because they weren't uh, weren't authorized to speak on the matter. I mean, that means front office people. But there were also so some of it was things that we knew and just verified and crystallized that. And that's, that was pointed out by the fact that Jerry Judy and Dalton Risner went on the record mm -hmm. and, and talked about some of those things that were denied during the season about Russ using the same terminology and some of the same uh, hot codes and, and things like that to change plays at the line of scrimmage that he was using in Seattle. And so teams knew it and he denied it at that time. Um, and so that was overblown. These guys came out and confirmed that. 
Um, I do think there's a there's a possibility here that some of this may be sem semantics, that the way it was written kind of made it, it feel like Russell went into Jody Allen's office and slammed his fist down on the desk and said, fire them or out and bring it. I can see, I 100% can see a conversation where Russell may have gone to ownership and said, look, I'm at, a, I'm at the apex of my career. I'm at a crossroads. Um, I don't see this relationship working out. Uh, if there's no chance that that's going to change anytime soon, then I may seek a trade. I could, you take that and you could, you could kind of interpret that as he asked for them to be fired. Um, but I believe in the reporting and I think a lot of due diligence was done here. And, you know, there's people on Twitter this morning saying, calling it slander. One writer called it slander. And I challenged him to, to, you know, look up the definition of the word slander because it's, it's, First of all, that's spoken word. Second of all, then you talk about libel. That's a, making a known, a known, knowingly making a false statement. This was really well-sourced reporting. And, um, and so I do believe it to be true. I took it like this. I guess my bottom line was this. None of it surprised me. I mean, nothing, nothing that would come out from here on out that would even take this further uh, would surprise me. And what's going to be fascinating now is to see what happens in Denver moving forward because now Russ gets his wish. And Sean Payton has already come out on the record and said, he's not going to have his own office. He's not going to have his own personal quarterbacks coach in the building anymore. We don't do it that way. And so, you know, be careful what you wish for us because we're going to find out in 2023 if he still has anything left in the tank, if this is going to work at all. I, I find that so interesting too, because that was exactly my take. I, after I read it through the second time, I'm like, this is not about Seattle. This is all about Denver. This is, this piece was laid out Um and constructed about Denver and what's going on there. And I think that that is, that is where truly this is going to go. I, I said, I, I've said this before that now that this season is over, I don't care what happens to Russell Wilson. I don't care what happens in Denver other than what I have to report on. And, and this is not personal to me anymore. We, we got what we needed from him. We got the draft picks. We beat him in the first game. I say, we, I wasn't there. I wasn't on the field, but you know what I'm saying? You know, Seattle beat them in week one. Revenge complete. They made it to the playoffs. Denver didn't. I, I, I'm good with that. Um, the problem that I have is not just about Russell Wilson. It's about quarterbacks who feel they're more important than the rest of the team. And I've said that forever. I'm not a fan of quarterbacks. And so I think that this is where Sean Payton is going to have to come in and reorganize and re, you know, assert his dominance. That sounds so sad, but it's true um, over you know, a Russell Wilson that was given free reign by Nathaniel Hackett. And I don't blame Nathaniel Hackett for that. His first time guy, this guy has won all kinds of awards. Heck yeah, I'm going to let him do what he wants. I don't blame him. I mean, God, he's I, just I a kid, right? Him. I, deal. I, I <laughs> just don't think that, well, for one, he just, he made such a big deal about Russ coming in. I immediately had concerns about how things were going to go because it, it seemed like he was a guy that could be walked all over by a player and, Really, well, from... he just come from Aaron Rodgers, who walks all over everyone <laughs> around so him. He probably, it it. <laughs> right. he probably thought it was normal. Right? He probably thought it was totally normal. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, I yeah, I don't know. I, it's interesting. So anyway, I think that this does, for a, the perfect analogy, puts a bow on the Russ Seattle era. And he he can say how much love he has for Seattle. And I think once he retires and it's a couple years out, Seattle will have love back for him again too. Um, but I do think that this puts an end to that conversation. And the funny thing is Denver fans are like, Seattle needs to move on. Seattle needs to move on. And I was like, uh, Seattle has 
this is about Denver. You, the Denver fans are the ones who should be worried about this. So it'll be interesting. We'll see. We'll see what happens about that. Yeah, I think Denver fans probably still should have something to worry about because I think the one of the main takeaways I got from the article was how big of a problem it could be Russ having with getting buy-in from his teammates because it pointed to a lot of those moments throughout the season where maybe the, the players weren't bought in with Russ and the fact that he came up through Seattle and had everybody knew that this is how he was. And I think going to a new franchise and I, I think it's going to take some adjustment and maybe, maybe they can get there. I, I kind of, I want Russ to come back because I think he can now, I, of course I wanted the top, draft pick so i didn't mm-hmm. want him to succeed no, this year but I, <laughs> i'd like to see him bounce back the unfortunate thing now is that sean payton's going to get all the credit uh if the broncos do bounce back very true yeah and and if i'm a denver fan i'm i'm if i'm worried about anything it's if this doesn't work now um russ is going to be the one to go and not sean yeah. payton mm-hmm. and so if, if this does not work and work well uh payton's there for a long time and he is going to be the man in charge 100 no doubt and uh they'll take whatever cap hits they have to take in 2024 and beyond to move on from russ if this is a disaster and then you're just cash strapped and um can't spend money and you're you're in a full rebuild now even though sean payton's going to be the guy at the helm that's what i'd be worried about and so you know if You've got to see a bounce back here from Russ and see him work in that offense and be effective. Uh, otherwise, that that near, well, and the long-term future in Denver looks pretty bleak. Right. All right. Guess what, you guys? We don't have to talk about Russell Wilson anymore. Hey. It's, we moved on from that. That's awesome. So let's go ahead and talk about the Seahawks' future, right? Because there's a lot of people who are really giddy about what's coming up in this off season and going into next season. Of course, the Gino question is still out there. We're going to talk about that for just a little bit. Um, and then there are all those draft picks, people, five draft picks in the top 83. Holy crap. That's amazing. And that's if they don't trade and get a couple more back for them. God knows. Right. So it's going to be so fun. Um, I think there's what six in the top 125 or something. It's like crazy. So it's going to be a lot of fun this draft. I'm so glad I am get to be there this year. But that's exciting. And then you have a couple of players, returning veterans that just signed contract. We have Phil Haynes and we have Nick Bloor, who I flip and love and adore. And I'm so glad that he is back. And so I, you have that. You have, kind of have this Seahawks like steam engine that seems to be picking up some speed and seems to be exciting. They're doing things a little different this year than they've done before with signing these players um, contracts early. They don't normally do that this early. That's super exciting to look forward to. And then there's always, you know, the little bit of cap room that they have, the free agency talk, all of that. So we're going to get to a bunch of that. So Dan, on earlier this week, you did a solo show for field goals and you talked a lot about the draft. I know this is your jam, right? Like I get it. Like you're all in on this draft. Daniel Jeremiah had his press conference um, this week. He does a pre-combine press conference every single year, and it's fascinating. And if, if you respect his opinion, it's it's very fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said, for basically, he said it's a really good corner group. It's a good edge rusher group. The tight ends are as good as he's seen in the last ten years, um, and the quarterbacks are going to be the big storyline. But it's much deeper in other 
positions. That made me really excited, Dan, because quarterback, I still don't feel is a huge issue. I still really think that Gino will resign here. Um, especially after the Derek Carr news came out today, which we'll talk about later. Um, but it made me excited because there's so many holes that Seattle has to fill. Yeah. So I have, uh, and I talked about this on the show a couple of days ago, I have changed my thinking about this a little bit. And and here's why. And and this is where I think there's a disconnect in in a large portion of the fan base is they think only in black and white terms, all or nothing. It's Gino or a draft pick at number five and you put all your eggs in that basket being a general manager it, it the the nfl is a talent acquisition league talent wins and an asset management is john schneider's primary job pete carroll takes care of the locker room and the players on the field john schneider is in charge of uh acquiring assets you do that through any means you can and you take every advantage of any opportunity you have Those two gentlemen, I guarantee you, believe that they, as long as they're going to be together in Seattle, will never have a draft pick this high again. And regardless of whether or not they extend Geno Smith, and I think there's some, we can read between the tea leaves, I think there's reason to believe that that news could be coming in the not distant future. Maybe while I'm in Arizona on vacation, I won't be able to respond to it. Um, that, That does not matter. If John Schneider falls in love with one of these quarterbacks that's available at five, and I believe he will, and there's two in particular I think that fit kind of the John Schneider mold, um, he'll take him and stash him and, and do the Jordan Love Aaron Rodgers thing and, and do the Pat Mahomes Alex Smith thing because it's an opportunity to acquire a guy and you don't always know if you're going to have those opportunities. Um, that being said, if you're listening to me say that and you're – <laughs> and it's causing a, a panic attack uh, as a Seahawks fan because we need a defensive lineman. What J- Daniel Jeremiah said about this draft is one of the reasons that I'm comfortable with, with my opinion because it is so deep in the areas that the Seahawks need most that you can get the difference between, let's assume Will Anderson and Jalen Carter are off the board at five, which most people seem to believe. The drop-off then to that next group, there are some guys that I love, but the drop-off from what you can get on the defensive line at five and 20 and 37 and beyond is not very steep. In fact, you might be reaching to take one of those guys up that high, as much as I love some of the guys up there like Tyree Wilson, et cetera. And so I've done the scenarios over and over and over again. And if you doubt what I'm saying, if you're listening to this, get on a mock draft simulator and play with it yourself. Take a quarterback at number five. It doesn't matter who it is. Just take a quarterback at five and you will see you can put together a really dynamic draft that addresses their needs. Imagine if they just didn't have the fifth pick. You'd still be excited about this draft because, hey, we're, we're drafting in the 20th spot of each round, and we have an extra second and an extra fifth. Watch John Schneider do his thing. So that's, that's where I've evolved my, my opinion to, is that if there's a guy there at five that they love and they think can be the future of the franchise, regardless of whether Gino uh, starts for three, four, five more years, they're going to do it. You know, I think I can see where your thought process is on that, especially after the whole um, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes situation. He was in love with those quarterbacks, mm-hmm. but he had Russ. And so he sat there. He's like, well, we already got our franchise quarterback. You know, he didn't play that game. And I think he's really, you know, that's something that's kind of stuck with him. And and that's 
that that goes also along with what he said earlier in what a couple of weeks ago when he said we are no longer going to draft for need we're going to take the best player available and so i think that that's a shift i mean it's an obvious shift and think about it this way too john schneider or any gm in the nfl maybe one of the most exciting things they can ever do is scout quarterbacks and for as long as he's been in seattle for the last 12 13 years he hasn't he hasn't he been hasn't, able to. He hasn't been able to. He hasn't had a reason to, to, to really look into those guys knowing that, hey, I could play in this, in this realm. I can, I, can, I can dip into this pool if I want to. He gets to do that now. I don't think he's going to force it. If, it does, if the draft doesn't fall his way, then they'll go another way. But I do think it's a much bigger possibility than most people want to believe. Brandon, where do you sit with this? Because I will tell you that this entire offseason, I've been absolutely do not take a quarterback at five <laughs> if you recite Gino, um, that there's too much importance. And then all these the news that has come out lately of Carolina possibly trading up to first because yeah. they are not going to let Houston take whatever quarterback that they want. They know Houston's right there. Then the, you have the Colts in there. Like there's just so much. What that does is push down Anderson Carter down to Seattle, which I think if one of those two guys is available, you absolutely cannot take a quarterback. You have to take one of them. Um, I've seen a million mock drafts what, that literally made me dizzy. I got so excited by reading them because they're like, oh yeah, you got Anderson and you got this guy and this guy and this guy. And it just lined up almost too pretty. Yeah. But where do you sit with, with Dan's theory of if he's in love with someone, he's going to take him if he, he's sitting there kind of a thing. Or especially if you've just re-signed Gino. Like, where do you sit with that? I'm okay with drafting a quarterback if you have someone you absolutely love. And Dan brought up the point, too, of playing in that arena of scouting quarterbacks. The one thing I would say on top of that, though, is, you know, what's what's better than a general manager identifying one of the top quarterbacks and taking it with the fifth pick? How about identifying one of the top quarterbacks and getting him in the back half of the first round or in the early second round? I, I'm sure that the Philadelphia general manager is doing cartwheels for how Jalen Hurts has turned out this couple year, this past couple of years with getting him early in the second round and not having to give up one of those top 10 picks that maybe you could use on another position of need. Or like Dan said, if the top defenders are off there and you see that next shelf down uh, being you know, relatively similar players, then you could trade back. Maybe one of those quarterback needy teams, quarterback desperate teams are willing to move up to the number five pick. Maybe you can get a future draft pick in the top 10 next year, just like we got the pick from the Broncos and we have another team to root against uh, the entire yeah. season. That could be fun. Um, <laughs> so yeah, John, if, if you're taking my advice, I enjoy watching two games, rooting for one team that I want to win and one team I want to lose. So if you can kick that can down the road, I'll, I'm, I'm open to it. And uh, yeah, it's it's fun. So I, I could see this going that way. And I'm I'm not opposed to I, I like the idea of Gino for another year, especially like we're going to talk about with some of the other quarterbacks that are on the market this offseason. Right. And, and guarantee you, um, to your point, Brandon, um, John Schneider is going to make sure he is very visible at all of these quarterbacks pro days. He is going to send the message to every team drafting behind the fifth pick that wants a quarterback that he's thinking hard about taking one at five because he's, he's going to build as much uh, equity and value in that pick as he can in, in case the guy isn't there um, that he can leverage that pick for, you know, as much of a haul as he can get uh, up to and possibly including future firsts for sure. 
I'm not, I wasn't a big fan of trades until I had a conversation with someone and they were like, Dana, what if we got a second first round pick next year too? I was like, Oh God, it does start to, it's, you start to get a little greedy. Am I right? Like, that's like, you're like, Oh, I want it. I want it. games every weekend you really care about. (laughs) Exactly. And so you really want those, um, that, that to kind of kick in. And yet we all know there's never 32 players with the first round grade, right? Like we, we understand that they're not there. And so if you have that opportunity, you have to pick it there. There's a couple other interesting things that he said, he's a little obsessed and he's not the only one I've heard about this with this tight end group Yeah, that's coming out that yeah. I just keep hearing about these tight ends and how fantastic they are. They have, um, I, I've seen it broken down to these great pass catching tight ends and then these great blocking tight. Ends. I mean, they're just all there. They're just sitting there. Um, and so I think that, while picking a tight end with one of those first five picks doesn't sound super exciting, I almost think it would be fantastic. And that's not because I don't like the tight end group we have now. I just don't think there's any true standouts in them. And no offense to Noah Fant. I think Noah Fant showed that he can really be helpful and play last, like he did last year. Will Disley, I, I like Will Disley, but he doesn't ever seem to stay on the field. But I just think that it would be interesting to get more of that dynamic tight end more of a, I hate to say Travis Kelsey because the dude drives me nuts, but Travis Kelsey or that sort of tight end. And this group seems to be, so I, I want to warn fans, if they pick a tight end, put a smile on your face. That, that's a good thing in this draft for sure. Yeah. I, I think we need to start getting fans at least prepared for that potential of a tight end in the first couple of rounds, because, and think of it too. You mentioned Travis Kelsey, but what about the other guy who drives us crazy and George Kittle? If you have a <laughs> dynamic tight end like that and you can get them and those guys, they didn't. Well, let's see. Kelsey, did he go third round or late second? I know he went after the Seahawks. Pick. I want to say second, yeah. but yeah, it was, it was a little bit, it was day two. And if you can get a guy like that in the, in the second round, you're absolutely going to take it. And, and also think about this. Uh, Will Disley's the only tight end under contract in 2024 and his mm-hmm. cap hit in 24 is 10 million. And with his injury history, he might be a cap casualty. So you have to, you know, when you talk about, again, it comes back to, you know, John said it best player available. Yep. If they see a guy at a certain pick that they think can add value long-term to their roster, as much as this offense is tight end friendly and they like to use the, the tight end, they're absolutely going to stack up these guys. And this draft is deep at tight end and there's all shapes and sizes and colors and flavors, whatever flavor tight end you want. You want a stud blocker. You can take Darnell Washington out of Georgia. If there's, there's guys that are, you know, more big wide receivers and move tight ends. And there's some that, that can do both. It's um, I'll, you know, they have 10 picks in this draft. And it may end up being more than that. I'd be shocked if they get out of this draft without taking a tight end. Oh, I think it's just a, a must almost in this one. Yeah. Now, um, Dan, you brought up on your show earlier in the week about Phil Haynes resigning um, and what that meant. Like, there was a lot of people who said, oh, Phil resigned. I guess we're not going to draft, you know, uh, his replacement or what have. Obviously, that means, you know, Gabe is out at this point. But you said that that wasn't it. And I completely agreed with your point. To me, these contracts feel, and I'm not saying anything bad about Phil Haynes, it feels like injury depth, but they're still going to look for that next generation. Yeah, and it's it's funny. I've, I've already had many fans engage me uh, online about how $4 million for Phil Haynes is ridiculous, and, he's, and we're overpaying to keep our own guys again. And it's just, I don't know that. You don't know that. None of us know that. John Schneider has his finger on the pulse of this league. 
I've seen some some lists of under the radar free agents that might be attractive to other teams this offseason. Phil Haynes was on some of those lists. Um, he's a guy we've seen flashes from. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy. It doesn't mean he's the guaranteed starter. I think it does guarantee, as you said, that Gabe Jackson will be released probably sooner rather than later. Um, but it just it one of the things the Seahawks like to do with free agency. We know they don't play at the top of the free agency market. They don't go after the big money, big time guys. Schneider has gone on record saying you don't want your highest paid player to be someone from the outside. Um, but they hedge. They like to hedge going into the draft. So they like to minimize their obvious needs. So they can let the board fall to them in the draft. Signing Phil Haynes for $4 million, potentially five, doesn't mean they won't draft a guard. Again, if a guy is there at a certain pick that they absolutely love and think can be a stud, they'll bring him in and let him compete with Phil Haynes. Where have we heard that before? But there's also (laughs) this. Phil Haynes has taken some snaps at center. And there have been reports over the last couple of years that potentially that could be a more permanent move. And with both of the Seahawks centers from last year's roster being free agents, I, I'm not saying that's that's the move that's in play here. I think they would have come out maybe and said that. Um, but he does potentially have that kind of versatility. So it's just they wanted to protect themselves. I don't think as much as we all want to believe that they uh, should address it this way, I don't think the Seahawks want to go into opening day next year with a rookie starting center and a rookie starting right guard. And so they wanted to protect themselves by re-signing a guy in his prime that they think can be a good player. And then, of course, there is our dream of John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt coming to, to, to Seattle. God love him. We all, want, we all want a center. We all want a center. We're all living under the, the creed, that PTSD of Creed Humphrey. So we need, we need a mm-hmm. center for sure. All right, let's talk about some of these free agent quarterbacks um, that are out there right now. So it came out today that Derek Carr says he's looking for $35 million a year. And there were a lot of people who were like, what? Only $35 million a year? It's in such sharp contrast to what's going on with Lamar Jackson in Baltimore and him wanting $250 million guaranteed, much like Deshaun Watson. I, I find that to be such a stark contrast and i think that the why that is so interesting to me is because we've heard the 45 million dollar number from daniel jones which we all giggled at and then we you know we expected more from Carr because i actually think Carr's actually a pretty good quarterback i'm not saying he's lead i just think he's a pretty good quarterback um and who's had how many offensive coordinators in his world but i find that that the contrast of that is so interesting and and i feel like it's almost the deshaun watson backlash is what I'm saying is that there are quarterbacks who are like, yep, I want that money. And other guys are like, well, I want to play. So I, I'm going to tell them I want less just to make sure I get on a team somewhere. I was really, Brandon, I, I'm going to send this to you. I was really surprised by that for two reasons. Number one, I think that that's going to cause Daniel Jones a lot of, a lot of problems in the number that he wants. But I also think it's actually going to end up being good for Seattle in the re-signing of Geno. Yeah, I think it it probably puts us closer to an idea of what Gino may sign for because I if I were to put Gino that Gino is kind of a mix of both scenarios, right? He has the age right. uh, and experience of Derek Carr, but yet he's looking for his first payday like Lamar and Daniel Jones, and so that's where I see the differentiation is that with Derek Carr. 
Carr's made his money. He's got a big contract and he probably is looking to find a place where he can go and be successful and recognizing that that's kind of a sweet spot, right? For quarterbacks in that you're outside of the top 10 of money. So maybe they can afford some extra things to put around you. And I think Carr recognizes that maybe he needs that a little bit and that he's not an upper echelon quarterback. So I I think it's good just that he's recognizing that. Um, And I I guess if I were to put more of a comparison, I I would put Gino more in the comparison of, of Carr and that, you know, maybe that brings down Gino's price tag in a sense, or maybe this is all uh, pretty much done uh, (laughs) and uh, it it doesn't play into it at all. But I could say, well, Derek Carr is more accomplished than Gino. So uh, under 35 is where, you could ultimately get Gino. And I think with the uh, the franchise number, it probably puts him around there anyway. But it's not a comparison with the younger QBs. And I feel like with Seattle, that's why it makes more sense for me to come back with Gino. And I would rather have Gino Smith than Derek Carr, too. Yeah, I agree. I was talking with uh, Joe DeLeon of the Believe Podcast Network, and he's a Giants fan. And I I had to make the case for Daniel Jones over Geno Smith and he made a very passionate case and it made me giggle because I would absolutely rather have Geno Smith over Daniel Jones, even though he made it sound completely the opposite. I think it's maybe some remorse uh, over the fact that they had Geno on the team all those years ago. And, uh, and now it looks like that was the wrong move by moving on from him. Great. Dan, what are your thoughts? I, I think Seahawks fans should um, rest easy. And this car news, I think, can only be taken as, as promising news. First of all, I think we're seeing a leveling out of the quarterback market across the league and it, and I'm not, I'm not going to use the C word. Right. Um, but Which I C think word? the, the days collusion, the, the, <laughs> the, the day I knew of, where you were going, yeah, me, <laughs> the days of quarterbacks, always topping each other with average annual value, just because they're the latest to sign a deal and they happen to be in the top 15 are over. I think teams are putting their foot down a little bit and and want to establish true fair value for quarterbacks based on a number. I think we're seeing it in Baltimore. You know, the fact that Lamar Jackson isn't getting that guaranteed money he wants is because the, the Ravens are just only willing to go so far. And teams also look, we know they share information. We, they hang out at the combine, the all-star games. They have an idea what the market is. Derek Carr's talked to a couple of teams in person already. So for him to come out and say, hey, I want 35, and I think Diana Rossini kind of hedged it by saying 30, at least 35 million a year. Yeah, fair. But when you when you compare and contrast that to the report of what Daniel Jones was asking for, of which my first reaction was, well, it's, you know, it's good to want. Yeah, right? Good for you, kid. <laughs> I want $35 million too. Um, it, it just goes to show that I, I think Derek Carr has a feel for what his market is. And, and if you're a Seahawks fan afraid that Geno Smith's going to get away and go sign a big money uh, contract elsewhere, um, ask yourself who those teams are. Mm-hmm. Because the, the quarterback needy teams that are young and years away from contention are going to go with a young quarterback or a cheap bridge quarterback, not Geno Smith. The teams where Geno Smith would fit well, we've heard about Tampa, Tampa would have to do so much to their salary cap to bring him in right now. They're almost in New Orleans Saints territory when it comes to the cap that you would tear down the roster just to add a quarterback. 
And then they came out again today. Their general manager came out today and said, we love Kyle Trask. So you're seeing that, you know, the, the, oh, the hyperbole, like the hype train and, and all of the, uh, you know, the rumors and innuendo and the leaks, you know, a lot of this stuff comes from teams and agents that I think I've, I've one other thing that I've kind of come full circle on. I do not think the Seahawks are going to franchise tag Geno Smith. I don't think it's going to come to that. They're going to get it. They're either going to agree to a deal in advance of the deadline or they're going to let him test free agency, knowing that there's no one out there that's going to offer more than they're willing to pay, that he'll come back to the Seahawks and he'll buy him a little bit of leverage as far as how they structure the deal so it works in their salary cap. And that is one thing I want to I want to remind listeners too is when you see a number the day it's released, take a breath. That number's not the real number. I mean, Jason Myers' contract is the perfect example of that. Everyone had a meltdown. It's like, no, 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 wait till those numbers all come out. So so don't freak out too badly yet. I I so if you there's some crazy number that comes out for Gino, take a minute because that's probably not, it's, it's not the what it's agent reaching out to Schefter and those guys and leaking it first so they can get their number out there. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, we we have to really this is the season of don't react because you have to know a, a multitude half of this stuff is rumors. Things are being leaked to bolster one guy's chances against another guy. There's all of this stuff. Uh, it, it's all, it's not, um, just take everything with a grain of salt, I think is really important. Now, one thing that Seattle has not been big on, and you mentioned that a little earlier, um, was in, in in past years under this regime that we're under, is free agency. And everyone always goes, oh, but Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill. Let me tell you, that was the weirdest year. There was a lockout that year. They got ridiculous. They got those two for so little money. It was nuts. So we have to put that aside. But there do seem to be a couple of free agents, I think, that there's seem to maybe would work for Seattle, um, especially in some of their bigger places of need. Linebacker, we don't need one linebacker, people. We need multiple linebackers. And yeah, you can draft one, but you don't want to draft three. And God knows they're going to need them. With Cody Barton really kind of proving that he's not starter material. Then you have Jordan Brooks. He's not going to be ready probably for the beginning of the season. So you have to have someone there too. I think that that's kind of an obvious place for people to go free agency, but there's also other options. You know, there's a lot of offensive linemen that are out there that are possible um, and not for crazy money. Um, And so I think that free agency might be something Seattle decides to dip their toe in this year. Brandon, is there any particular player or any particular position that you think maybe they should look at free agency wise the main thing i'm looking at is where they can go from below average to just average and right not a huge i don't know if going after deron Payne, for example or you know going after a, a top paid wide receiver is necessarily the way to go i think holding off and waiting until those second and third waves probably make a ton of sense because those are the areas where you can go from below average to average and then not pay that premium of the guys that come out in that very first week. So that's that's more of where I'm I'm hoping that they play. Now it'd be great if, yeah, they get a a top name on the defensive line. I'd be stoked. But I just I guess I don't necessarily see it because they have those opportunities to get really solid players with those early picks in the draft. I think that when, in my opinion, anyway, when a team goes after one of the big names, okay, like whatever position group they go after them 
and they pay too much for them, they are one season from a Super Bowl. That's their one missing link. Seattle is not in that place. But I do think, and I think Nuosu was a perfect example of how much he contributed last year and was not one of those superstar names, um, but so, so important to Seattle last year that that could really help them out quite a bit. Dan, is there anyone you have your eye on? I'm so glad you brought up Uchenna Nuosu because uh, the point I was going to make is, is I think when the Seahawks go into the free agent market, they're looking for guys who just haven't had an opportunity to break out yet, who are going into their second contract. We're still in the prime of their career physically and just haven't had that opportunity. And, and so they can get them at a number that makes more sense because uh, they want to try to spread their salary cap hits out more evenly. And Nuosu is a perfect example. I hardly knew him when we signed him. Wasn't that familiar with him? And look what a brilliant signing that turned out to be. And they gave him a pretty good amount of money. So I look around the league at guys that can do that, that can help solidify certain positions that need an upgrade because you don't, as much as we have fun with the mock drafts and all that, you're not going to go into day one next year with five rookies starting in your front seven because you feel like that's an area they need to address. You're just not. If you are, it's going to be painful. And so you want to solidify some of those spots and look for guys who are ascending players. And um, there's a couple staying right in the NFC West that I've had my eye on for a while. Uh, one is Charles Omenihu of the San Francisco 49ers. He was an original draft pick of the Houston Texans. And when he came out, he was a guy that I spent a lot of time looking at and, and mocking to the Seahawks. Ended up going lower than people thought. Third round really kind of broke out in that rotation with the 49ers. Now he had some off the field stuff a couple of months ago. Not sure how that's gonna how that's gonna play out. But a guy that uh, a big, bigger tie or a bigger defensive end, which is I think the thing that was missing from that Seahawks defense. They were playing smaller guys out of position. When Puna Ford is playing three four defensive end for you, that's an issue. And so a guy like Omena who can get after the passer but also can be stout against the run. And the other one is uh, Zach Allen from the Arizona Cardinals, 26 years old, 6'5", 285, liked him coming out of Boston College in the, in the third round a couple of years ago. He's a four or five sack a year guy, only made a million dollars last year. If he's a guy you can get for four, five, six million dollars, um, again, a stout, more typical uh, three, four defensive end that can stand up and hold the edge against the run, but can get after the passer from time to time. You can fill some of those holes before the draft with solid veterans like that that have that are ascending players. Um, I think that's the kind of move they're going to look to make. I think that all of us have said at one point on our podcast, however many that we do, that Seattle's defense just needed to be average for that offense to have been that much better. Um, and I think that that's to not have to play from behind and to not have to bend not break and they were breaking a lot last year so i i think that you're at the the point is 100 valid you don't need to have a superstar you want those blue chip players as rookies you don't want to pay for a blue chip player on their second and third contract and so i think that that's really where um seattle even if they can just a couple of levels they just move up a little bit that it would make a huge huge just difference acquire good players that fit the scheme that's yeah that's what they need to stop the run that fit the scheme like yeah. Pete Carroll wants to do. <laughs> well, just that's all we're asking. Just mm-hmm. stop the run. <laughs> Come on, people. That's so true. So, last question before we kind of wrap this up. Um, where do you guys? How do you feel? So we're a little separated now from the end of the season. We're going in. How do you feel? I had a conversation last night that really the Rams are falling apart. Arizona's a disaster. 
um, right now. God knows what they're going to do. They're going to end up trading Hopkins and it's just going to be a complete rebuild. San Francisco is still San Francisco. We just don't know what the hell they're going to do with their quarterback situation. Um, so Seattle to me feels like they are in a solid second in this division, which is exciting for me. Cause that's not what I expected after Russ left. That's not what I, I thought would happen. Where do you guys feel this team is at going into this off season where hopefully they can do nothing but get better, fingers crossed. Brandon, what about you? I feel like they're in a really good position based off of the rust trade because... Because I worry sometimes. I, yeah. I worry that I get overly optimistic <laughs> and I just need to calm myself down a little bit. So that makes me feel better. Well, <laughs> we saw what they did with the draft picks last year, and now they have an opportunity again. It's It's like they still have quite a few holes to fill, but maybe not as many as last year, whereas... um. Yeah, I, I think that allowed them the freedom to really go after and and succeed in the draft where they hadn't in the past, where they're maybe looking to try and fill holes because they they felt like they were in that window with Russ, and now it's it's reloading for the franchise. So I I see Pete Carroll being excited. I, I see John Schneider being excited about it. The potential for a quarterback of the future beyond Gino if if they do resign him like we kind of expect the team to do it, uh, it it's pretty fun and and we have so many guys that we look at from this season from the last draft that had so much so much success right the fact that you have two bookend tackles that you could see this line building off of and I've even talked to people that say hey maybe one of those Tackles can move into guard because it's a pretty deep tackle draft, too. And then you have some flexibility within the roster or maybe one of the young guys moves into tackle. But then you have depth pieces, too, within that line of really solid players. It's just it's not something that we've had with an offensive line since you go back to where Marshawn was running the ball so well, which leads me to K-9 and how excited about him I am going forward in the run game and continuing to have Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf on the outside. So it's, it's building such a fun offense and the idea that you can load up with draft picks and, and maybe go after some, some really good guys on the defensive side in the draft and, and start to build that up. Now uh, it has me excited that it's going to be a fun off season. Fun is a good word too, because I feel like this season I know not everyone can have fun watching Seattle games. They just get too stressed out about it. I get that. But it just felt lighter. It felt more fun to watch. And yes, the defense was frustrating and the offense was frustrating at some times, but that's just football. But we weren't seeing the same old, same old. And I just feel like that's going to continue into next season. Dan, where are you at with this team? I agree with Brandon. I think they're in a really enviable situation. It's not often that you're good and have assets. And, and that's where we are. And, and I think, I honestly think John Schneider and Pete Carroll didn't expect to be where we are today when they traded Russell Wilson. I think you look at the way they structured DK's contract. You look at the cap hits of Lockett and Metcalf in 24. And I think they expected to have a rookie quarterback under contract and take advantage of that. But the way their salary cap is spread out, it's it's very evenly spread out. And, and I talked about the Rams earlier. I think I said they have five guys over 20 million. Three of those are over 25 million. Um, Seahawks don't have one and they only have say, seven guys over 10 million, but you can't um, pay $4 million that, to Phil Haynes, Dan. You can't do it. That, that gives you flexibility. You know, you, you talk about the big story going into the, 
championship weekend was, hey, look, three of the four teams have cheap quarterbacks. That's how you do it. Well, look who won the Super Bowl. It's Pat right. Mahomes with $45 million cap hit. It's because of how they manage the rest of their roster. They're saving money in their secondary. They're saving money. It's, it's how you spread that out. And so here they are. They're coming off a nine-win season in a division that has one elite team in it and two with major question marks, as you said. In a conference that has question marks, you look at the teams at the top other than the Eagles, but even the Eagles, they got to figure out a way to pay Jalen Hurts and they're going to have to release or restructure and kick the can down the road on a bunch of veteran guys too. But if you take them out of the equation, there's, there's an opportunity there. And lo and behold, we found this quarterback that we can win with and it wants to be here. And, and that puts us ahead of schedule. And we have all these draft picks and cap flexibility it's an enviable position to be in. Now you got to execute it. If they have another offseason similar to what they had last season, then, then I think they're putting themselves in a position where they can be contenders for many, many years. And you talk about that draft class last year, like Brandon did. When do players get better in the NFL? When do we see the biggest jump? It's years two and three. As good as Charles Cross and Abe Lucas were last year, like I expect them to be much better this year and moving forward. And you don't even have to pay those guys for a couple more years. So it's, there's an opportunity. They just, they need to execute it. And, uh, and I can't wait to watch it unfold. Oh, me too. I'm so excited. Well, like, are there I people who are pessimistic that, about this off season, Dana? Who are I, these people that you're talking to? Well, they're just convinced. Well, honestly, what it comes down to is that they're just like, oh, they're going to screw this draft up. They're going to screw the draft yeah. up. Really? Those are the people they that didn't think Gino, Gino Smith is going to be a disaster. Who wants to pay 40 million to a 35 year old quarterback? I do. I yeah. do. Thank you very much. Let's move on from that. Let's, let's go ahead and do that. Oh, you guys, this has been just a, such a fun year. I, I've had such a good time with you guys and, and hanging out. Now, I know all of us do other podcasts. I want to make sure that everyone knows where to find it. And I want, and Dan, you explained this so well on your on the your show earlier this week about the feeds from these shows and how they're going to kind of stay put just rebranded. So, so Brandon, I want to start with you. You are going to continue the Seahawkers podcast. And you're staying on this same feed. Is that correct? Yeah, I've actually, yes. I've been on the same, the Seahawkers has been on a feed outside of SB Nation for, uh, it, it just, it's been where it's been oh. for the entirety of, uh, of my hosting it. The reason why I actually agreed to come on as the field goals host was because they wanted to transfer all the content that I had created before onto the SB Nation servers. And I said, well, I'm up for doing field goals, but I just want to keep everything where it is. You know, in case something like this were to happen and I needed to move it all back somehow, then everything's all in its one place. I could host the the field goals and start a few new shows uh, like I did with Clinton, which ended up, you know, coming over to the Seahawkers side this past year. So, yeah, I, I'm fortunate that I at least uh, worked it that way and everything will kind of stay the same for anybody who's been listening uh, through the Seahawkers feed. That's awesome. And then, Dan, for you, I know that you are taking over the field goals. Um, feed and and what that means, people, guys, is if you're already subscribed, you're going to get the new stuff too. So you don't have to change anything. You don't have to do anything different. It's already going to be there readily available for you. Um, but Dan, tell us about um, your rebranding of this and and what you what you plan to do with it. Yeah, and it was really gracious of Vox Media, as disappointing it as it was, um, to get the news. And then there was some conf confusion early on about what they were telling us they were going to do with this. But once we got that clarity. Um, allowing us to keep the feed and, and, and kind of carry that subscriber base forward with us was, was pretty cool. Um, and, and so it's essentially going to be the same show. 
I, I mean, it's going to be Seahawks 365 days a year. Um, I'm still going to be, I have that great resource of field goals, writers and you two to tap into um, being on field goals for the last year, um, as opposed to my old solo show has, has given me access to guests that I didn't have access to before. And that's exciting. And so uh, the name of the podcast will be Seahawks forever, which has been my Twitter handle for the last 12, 13 years. So that seemed like it was just right there in front of my face. Didn't have to think too hard about that. And, uh, and, and that's what it's going to be. And so I'm taking a little time off here. Uh, going to go seek out some, some sunshine and some warmth. I'll be back March 6th. I hope too much news doesn't break between now and then, but I'm sure it will. Uh, and then when I come back, we'll be jumping right into Seahawks forever and getting into free agency and everything on the dawn of that. So again, as a listener, you don't have to do anything. Um, but I, this was such a great opportunity, Brandon, thank you for, for inviting me, uh, to do this. And thank you, Dana, for, for co-hosting. Um, and, and what a time to do it because it was one of the most interesting years I can ever remember as a Seahawks fan to be able to talk about it and debate it and, and get interaction with the fans about it has been uh, fantastic. And so I'm just grateful for the opportunity and I, and I'm excited to move forward. And Dana, obviously you're going to continue podcasting as well. So I, I would expect through uh, the Hawkmogger folks that you'll continue to record with them. And then, I mean, you have a lot of other things going on too. So I, where do people go for, to continue to hear you? Well, I, it, there's a lot. You're right. It is. Sometimes I think people get sick of me, but so, yeah, so I still, I will do real Hawk talk with, all the Hawk blogger guys over there, um, they they don't do it real regularly through the off season, only if big news comes out, that sort of thing. And then, of course, I also, which is the, the, our turf football, which is my my main gig that I've done now for 11 years. Um, and we do we cover the entire NFL, though. So we cover all 32 teams um, and we do that every Tuesday um no matter what now i say that but we're taking the next two weeks off because three of us are on vacation and so um there will be back i believe it's the, it's the day before um the new league year so the 14th of march we'll be back to go ahead and jump into that so you can definitely find me there and then i do a fun little podcast with a couple of uk football fans called end zone scoop which I, we do every other weekend it's really fun but um but yes but i'm excited to come on your guys's new shows and be able to kind of continue these kind of conversations because i've enjoyed this year so much and i am really grateful to mookie and the other guys in field goals who have been so great to us and and let us do our thing really they handed it to us and said go have a good time with it and and brandon you were a big part of that so we are so grateful that you you handed that over so but we are also grateful to all of you people who have been listening to us for this entire year in this crazy weird seahawks season that i hope just kind of continues the fun into next year so please stick around with your feeds keep your subscriptions and come find us on twitter um and we will continue to talk football with all of you thank you guys so much for listening <laughs>